0: George Mueller was a preacher that lived in England in the 1800s. Think of um, Charles Dickens' era. George Mueller was an evangelist. He was a missionary. He started schools. He is perhaps most well-known for his work with orphans. It is said that over his lifetime, he cared for 10,000 orphans, At one point, he had five different buildings that between them would house 2,000 children at any given time. Not only did he care for them, but he helped educate them and prepare them for future jobs to the point where he was accused of raising the poor above their natural station in life. The kicker is that he never solicited funds and he never went into debt he would say it was because he prayed. He was famous. He was a famous man of prayer. And if you read any book on prayer, this is a name you're going to see. He would, spend, he would write that he would spend three hours alone with God before preparing to face a busy day of ministry. Adonai Judson He's often considered to be the uh, greatest American missionary. He was born in 1788, and he would go on to spend nearly 40 years in Burma. While he was there, he translated the Bible into their language. He compiled a dictionary, started churches, and saw thousands come to Christ. Like Mueller, he too was a man of prayer. He said this, he said to arrange your affairs so that you can spend two to three hours in secret prayer and devotion. He said to withdraw from business and company seven times a day to lift up your soul to God in private retirement. It is said that he would arise at midnight, then again at dawn, then again at nine, twelve, three, six, and so on. He would go on to impact an entire nation for Christ and also just future mission work in general, particularly Baptist missions. Martin Luther, the great theologian that inspired the Protestant Reformation, he said this, and I quote, If I fail to spend two hours in prayer each morning, the devil gets the victory the rest of the day. I have so much business I cannot get on without spending three hours daily in prayer. Have you ever heard stories like that and wondered, what did they pray about for three hours? <laughs> How did they find the time, first of all? How did they find the desire to go off and spend three hours and pray? And, and what do you talk about for three hours daily? Well, this morning, we have the advantage of looking at the prayers of Paul, and they're going to give us some great insights into men such as these. If... Um, You have your Bibles. Would you turn with me to Ephesians 3? We are going to go back and forth. Your homework had you looking at two passages. You looked at the end of Ephesians 1 and the end of Ephesians 3. And so we're going to be going back and forth between those. Uh, I'm not going to take the time to just read through the passages all together at once now, but we'll go through them uh, as we address them. Now, I want to start with a disclaimer. Um, this is not going to be an exhaustive lesson on prayer. Okay, we can assume Paul spent time with the Ephesians. We can presume that he has already taught them the basics of prayer. Okay? He was an apostle, and apostles would teach the words of Jesus. So he likely has already taught them the Lord's Prayer. So there are going to be things today that are important about prayer, but that we're not going to talk about today. We're not going to address them today. Instead, we're going to look at the things that he specifically focuses on in these passages. And I have arranged them. Uh, there's five different things we want to address. We're going to look at who he prays to, when he prays, why he prays, what he prays, and how he prays. That will um, be our um, strategy this morning. Okay, let's start with chapter 3. Look at verse three fourteen. That's where we'll start. He writes, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Okay, let's stop there. Anytime you are studying the Bible, one of the best things to do is start with the obvious. Start with the things that are obvious. Start with the easy things. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to ask the question who does he pray to? All right, point number one on your paper. He directed his prayers to God the Father. God the Father. Now, this is important because remember what he's just told us earlier in the same chapter. He's told us that we have been adopted as daughters. And we now know that means that our status has changed, and so that we now have access, intimate access to the Father. Okay. When Bob, uh, when Grant was four, Bob and I used to teach his Sunday school class, and we, I would gather up all the little kids before snack time or before story time, and we would all sit down in a circle, and we would all close our hands, fold our hands, and I would lead them in prayer, and I would say, "Oh, dear, precious Jesus." Well, one day, one of the mothers came to me and said, I want you to know. My daughter, when she prays, she always folds her hand and says, dear precious Jesus, just like her teacher Heidi. Well, I wish I had taught her correctly. Because the example of Jesus was our our Father who art in heaven and the example that Paul gives us is our father. And why is that? Because we have been adopted as his precious daughters. And because of Jesus, we now have intimate access to the father. Okay? That's what you teach your children. Okay? All right. Let's move on. Well, let's talk about when he prays. Now, when, when you're looking for the when, you want to look for time elements. And... Uh, not that we actually see those here, but I want to show you something in 16, and that's what we're going to park on. Look at verse 16, same chapter. He says, "I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers." Paul's prayers were ongoing. He told the Thessalonians, "Do not to, to pray without ceasing." Okay, that's the that was his habit. He was in constant and consistent prayer. This was a man who had a lifestyle of prayer and we want to look at that let's write that down when did he pray he did not cease to pray he had a lifestyle of prayer now when we talk about a lifestyle of prayer this is bugging me I'm going back okay when we talk about a lifestyle of prayer a couple things that we want to see and I've got it on your paper a a lifestyle of prayer involves spontaneous prayer and we really get to see that in this here chapter of Ephesians. It's like Paul, he's writing to them. Perhaps he's dictating the letter. And he thinks about the Ephesians and he breaks out into spontaneous praise and thanksgiving and prayer for the Ephesians. That's the way he worked. He went about his day, God impressed something about, uh, on his heart and he prays about it. He prays without ceasing. Okay, and obviously uh, that's what we want to do too. When you're driving along, the road, and your child asks you a difficult question of God, and you pray, oh Lord, help me know how to answer this. Or you're watching TV in the news, or you see something on the computer, and you see the the latest tragedy, and you want to be able to pray, oh Father, send relief, help these folks. Maybe you're going throughout your day, and and God uh, puts uh, somebody on your heart, and you don't even know what they need, but you pray for them. Okay, that's what I'm talking about here when, when we speak of being um, uh, in a lifestyle of prayer, spontaneous prayer, so that when God puts something on your heart, you can pray. When God points something out to you, you can pray. You can begin to lift them up. Now, uh, you're, you, maybe you have an emergency, but you, and you're in a position to be able to pray on the spot. All right, um, that's very much a part of being able to have a lifestyle of prayer and praying spontaneously now your author talked about this you had a question about having an attitude of prayer that's, we're talking about the same thing here that's being able to have a relationship your condition with the relationship with your father is such that you are in continual communication with him Right, that's what we're talking about an attitude of prayer now how do you maintain that? how do, how do you have that? Well, I found that it's going to be easier to describe what hinders it, okay? And uh, I'm going to speak of the one that I'm familiar with, and that is sin. That brings us to the next thing on our paper. A lifestyle of prayer is disrupted by sin. If I am preoccupied with myself, which happens often, if I'm in the flesh, you know what? Quite frankly, I'm not thinking about anybody else. And so when God begins to impress something on my heart, I'm not in a position to pray for them. I'm not hearing those promptings. Also, I'm not in a position to be able to commune and talk to God about them. Let me give you an example. I can remember a time when my kids were very little, and I, I was a believer, and I had unconfessed sin in my life, and God was putting his finger on it. He was showing me what it was, and you know what I was doing? I was doing this. I don't want to hear it. I like it. Nobody knows about it. It's not bothering anybody. And I would pray, and I would open my Bible, and they were just words on a page. It didn't feed my spirit like it usually did. And uh, it was also at that time that my boys were playing baseball, and Bob had been uh, transferred, so he was not living in the same state with us at the time, and, so, uh, and, and my boys were struggling with baseball. They needed their daddy their baseball playing daddy to be home and helping them, and he wasn't there. So I'm watching my uh, youngest. He gets up to the plate. I'm sitting in a um, lawn chair watching him. He gets up to the plate. He's swinging. He's struggling. He's striking out, and I'm praying, oh, dear Lord, can you please just help him? Can you please just help him get a hit? And I'm immediately struck with the wall that exists between me and God. Because I did not have an attitude of prayer in my heart. I had an attitude of rebellion in my heart. And you cannot pray for your children and rebel against God at the same time. You cannot do it. Now, I found that um, not being able to pray for my children uh, is very motivating. Uh, I'm going to read to you. Where did I go here. James tells us the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. You see, I knew God was pointing out in my life the unrighteousness that I had to deal with and I wasn't doing that. So I immediately knew as soon as the prayer was off my lips, I knew that I would accomplish nothing. And like I said, it's very motivating. Not being able to pray for my kids happens to be a very motivating thing for me. It it got my attention. All right, now, why does he pray? Look at verse, chapter 1, verse 15. He starts off, for this reason. Little side note. When we see the phrase, for this reason, it's answering a question for us. Okay, we know it's telling us why about something. Okay, also, it's a connecting phrase. We know that it's connecting what happens before with what happens after. Okay, so we want to keep that in mind. So when he says, for this reason, let's think about what he's already talked about. Now, if you were here last week, uh, we looked back, verses 13 and 14, they were about being sealed by the Holy Spirit. But, if you remember, verses 3 through 14 were, in the Greek, one long sentence. Okay, so he is talking about, uh, he's referring to what's happened in verses 3 through 14, how we have been, how he's praising about how we are in Christ So let's keep that in mind. Let's keep that whole uh, long sentence in mind as we read verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Why does he pray? Number one on your sheet. Because believers have a continuous need for spiritual vision. You could also say continuous need for spiritual understanding. Enlightenment. Paul knows that we will never be able to understand the spiritual things, the spiritual things of God, apart from the Spirit of God making them known. And Paul knows that's going to be an ongoing need, so he prays. Also understand, notice, he understands the spiritual nature of our need. And so what does he do? He prays. Okay? He prays that God will give their hearts understanding. All right, next I want us to look over at chapter 3, verse 14. 14, he's telling them that he prays for them. At 17, that's where we're going to pick up. Now he's going to tell them why. Watch for this in 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now that can be a little confusing because you might be thinking, what is he talking about? Uh, Isn't he writing to Christians? Doesn't he already dwell in their hearts? Well, when he writes about Christ may dwell in your hearts. He is talking about Christ being at home in your hearts. He's talking about Christ coming into your heart and ripping up the carpet and pulling down the old smelly drapes and going about in your life redecorating and putting the things that he desires in there so that he is comfortable and so that he is at home in your life, in your heart. Okay, that's what Paul is referring to. Now, have you ever heard of that? We've talked about things like that before. <clears throat> have you ever thought of things and found yourself going, Jesus, could you just look away for the next two hours? Because I have this movie that I'd like to watch, and I actually I think it's going to make you a little uncomfortable. Well, Paul does not want that to be the case. And so he prays. That's why he prays, because he wants Christ to be at home in their hearts. Listen, what a prayer for your children, for your believing children, to pray that they would be uncomfortable with the things that make Christ uncomfortable. Pray that for me. Okay, let's look at verse 19, because we're going to see a very similar idea here. Look at verse 19. We're in chapter 3, and he writes, And to know the love of Christ Christ which surpasses knowledge, okay, that's what he prays. Now watch for why. That you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Paul wants the Ephesians to be filled up, filled to the brim with the fullness of God. You see, if you're filled up to the brim with the fullness of God, you don't have room for any of the other junk, okay? Paul wants them to be filled and controlled by God to the fullest extent. Now, here's the thing. Paul knows that you don't start out like that. You start out as babes. He's talking to Christians. And you start out as babes in Christ. Now, yes, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. And yes, uh, Peter tells us that you have been granted with everything pertaining to life and godliness. So you have been equipped with everything that you need. But we start out as babes. We're equipped, but we're babes, and we need to grow. Okay, so that brings us to uh, reason number two why he prays. Because true spiritual growth demands prayer. Paul knows the true spiritual maturity and spiritual, the spiritual discipline of prayer, they go together, and you are just not going to see one without the other. OK And again, notice, Paul understands that the nature of the Christian walk is spiritual. OK? And thus you pray. We need to pray. Okay, one more thing we want to add to this list. Uh, and we're going to go back to chapter one, verse 15. He says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers. Third reason he prays, because he loves them, because he loves the saints. Christians pray for one another. Okay? Paul, remember, he loves the Ephesians. He's in jail, he's in prison because of the Gentiles. So do you realize that one of the ways that we love each other is we pray for each other? We pray with each other. I love the question she has in your book. She asks you, what do you do when you have a struggling sister? What do you do? Do you give her advice? Maybe the, uh, a good book to read? A website to visit? That's okay. Okay. sometimes that's exactly what we need. I'm not saying that um, there's not a place for that. But where does prayer fit in? Where do you pray? When do you pray? Because we need to be praying for one another and with one another. I want to tell you a story. Uh, Years ago, my kids were little. I had a girlfriend that was going through a terrible, terrible experience. She shares her circumstances with me and another girlfriend. And we tried to help her. We talked about it. We supported her, tried to encourage her any way we could. And then somebody got the great idea, out of desperation, we should pray together about this. And so uh, we, said, uh, we agreed, and um, there were six little kids at the time between us. So we gathered at my one girlfriend's house. She had kind of like this basement area where she had all the toys <clears throat> set up. So we put all the kids there, and then the three of us sat and huddled in, off to the side, and we just prayed and we cried out to God. And well, to be honest with you, um, nothing in her circumstances changed. Things went on like they were. But for the three of us, that was, that prayer time was so sweet and so comforting and so encouraging that we said, let's do this again. And so we decided, let's do it every week. And so we would... um, uh, I, my one son had a, a little a gymnastics class that he took, and it was right next to where the one girlfriend lived. So I would drop him off and then quickly drive to my girlfriend's. That gave us about 50 minutes. So that meant that we had to get there and get down to business right away. It also meant that we, that we ended on time, so that it was never a real um, a struggle or a burden on anybody's schedule. Um, but during that time, we got to uh, pray for each other's children. We prayed for our marriages We prayed for our church. They were very savvy on what was going on in the world, and so we prayed for politicians and the culture, and there was always little kids around. We didn't let that stop us. But um, we need to be praying together, and we need to be praying for one another. And by the way, you want to put a friendship on the fast track, pray together with them every week. Because you're going to bypass a lot of the superficial and your hearts will bind. I have um, been a Christian since I was in the seventh grade. And my observation is that somewhere along the way, the church has forgot to pray or quit praying. And it's wreaking havoc on women, families, our churches we need to pray. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about what he prays. We're going to see this back in chapter 1. Let's look at verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, we, we talked about what he prays, Uh, We want to start here and see, we're going to see here the big picture of what he prays. Okay, this is kind of his general prayer. And this is our next point under what he prays. He prays that they will know God better. He wants them to know God. Now, interesting thing throughout this book, we are never going to see Paul pray for physical things. Now, we know he's got them because he's in prison. And we know that the Ephesians have them. And yet for some reason remember he is teaching them uh, remember he's teaching them that there's more to life than meets the eye. And so what is he going to do? He's going to go right to the root. He knows that if they know God, they'll be able to handle the stresses and the difficulties and the temptations in life. If they know their God, they'll make they'll make wise decisions. And so he goes to the root. He prays that they will know God better. That's his general prayer. Now we're going to target in and see some of the specifics that he prays for. Okay, we're going to see those in 18. Chapter 1, verse 18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. All right, that's the first thing. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? That's number two. Verse 19. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? All right, there's the third. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Okay, first specific thing that he wants us to know. Number one, he wants us to know the hope of his calling. Okay, and that's his calling. Now, what is his calling? Well, just let's think back about what he's been talking about. Verses 3 through 14, all of those things that we experience as blessings, our spiritual blessings, they're a result of his calling you. So that's what we're talking about here. Paul wants you to know those. He wants you to understand them. He wants you to understand the hope of knowing those. Okay, next on your paper, he wants you to know the riches of his inheritance. All right, now what's his inheritance? A couple things here. There's a debate. Some wonder, is he talking about the inheritance that we have in Christ that we talked about last week? Or is he talking about it being his inheritance? Are we talking about the church or the saints, how they are God's inheritance? Most fall on that one. So he's saying that, that Paul is praying that the Ephesians would understand how God values them and how God treasures them as saints. They're his inheritance. Okay, last thing in this chapter he prays, he wants them to know his power. Power. Paul wants them to understand the resources that they have. The power that raised Jesus from the dead resides in them. Okay, and he's going to talk more about that in chapter 3. So turn with me now. Go to chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. We're going to see some more things for our list. 16, he says, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power, there's the word again, through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Okay, now the inner man and your heart, we're talking about the same thing. First, he's prayed that your heart, your inner man, that, that you'll have understanding That the eyes of your heart will be opened and you'll have understanding. That's the first thing he prays for. Now he's praying that that heart will be strengthened with the power that is in you. All right, now remember, Paul understands. He's in prison. He knows you're going to have days where you're weary and you're discouraged. And you're going to need to know the power of God that resides in you. The power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Now, you know what? I need my eyes open to understand that because that's just too big for me. Number four, he wants us to know power in the inner man. All right, one more thing we want to look at in this category. Uh, Verses 18, chapter 3. May be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth And to know, here it comes, the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. He wants us to be able to grasp the love of Christ. Now, it surpasses knowing, that's what he tells us, but he prays that we can begin to comprehend it. Let me ask you something. Would you describe yourself as someone that is desperate for love, someone that is needy for love? Or are you secure in the love of Christ. That's what Paul wants for you. That's what, that's what God wants for you. He wants you to know the love of Christ. I suspect he writes of it because he knows that it will be a struggle. Number five, last point, know the love of Christ. All right, now here's the thing. Big thing that we need to see as we look at that list of, of what we're to pray for. Paul is praying that the believers would know God better. He wants them to know the will of God. He wants them to know the love of God. He wants them to know the ways of God. Now, if you and I, if we are going to pray those things for each other, for ourselves, we're going to have to have an open Bible. We're going to have to pray with our Bibles open. Unless you have large portions of Scripture memorized, you're going to need to have your Bibles opened. How can we know the heart of God without the word of God? For us to attempt to pray the will of God without the word of God, you know what? That's a little arrogant. Now, I understand that if um, you are praying spontaneously, okay, different thing. You're not going to have your Bible. If you're rocking your baby, okay, different thing. You're not going to have your Bible. That's okay. Keep doing that. We're not talking about stopping anything like that. What we need to understand is the importance of how the Word of God goes together with prayer. They go together. If, by the way, you want to know what those men prayed about for three hours? That's what they did. They had their Bibles open. Okay, let's look back at Ephesians 1, because now we want to talk about how he prayed. (coughs) Ephesians uh, chapter 1, we're going to actually go all the way back to verse 3 from last week. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, blessed, that's the Greek word eulogotos, eulogetos, from which we get the word eulogy. All right, verses 3 through 14, one long sentence, it's a praise, now, yes, we learned about our identity from it, but it's still a praise, okay? A big portion of his prayer is praise. You know, you know what that tells me? I don't praise enough. I want to get right down to the list. Help me, help me, help me. That's what I want to jump to, okay? He, he does not do that. Now, years ago, I took a class on prayer. It was an excellent book. I highly recommend it if you want some good uh, lesson on prayer. It was called In God's Presence by T.W. Hunt and Claude King. It's put out by Lifeway. And anyway, you have, are given daily reading assignments. And you learn about the basics of prayer. For instance, you have a week that you spend on confession and a week that you spend on thanksgiving and supplication and praise. And you do all these little lessons throughout the week, and then you come together with your class, and you have a five-minute lesson, but then you spend the remainder of the class practicing what you've just studied all week. So one of our first lessons together, our assignment is to spend the entire hour doing nothing but praising God. That was the assignment we were told, okay, here's the deal. Don't ask for anything. Don't even say thank you for uh, the beautiful day because we were going to learn that a different week. The, the, the assignment was we're just going to spend an hour praising God. Well, I hit the jackpot because I happened to be with five people that just loved to pray. So uh, it was a sweet, sweet time. But the class before me, the teacher said that um, he had people in class that cried. They, they didn't know how to do it. And they thought they were just coming to a class that they were going to hear about prayer. They didn't know they were going to have to actually do it. So here's the thing. We don't want to be that class. We don't want to be that class. We want to be women that know how to praise, to praise God. Now, yes, we are told by Jesus that we are to take to him, our needs. We're to ask for our daily bread. We're to pray about the things that um, our needs and our anxieties. But I want to tell you something. On that day after, I I went to that prayer meeting with a long list of needs. But do you know how I looked at that list when we were done praising for an hour? It looked very easy. You know, the the reality is that when one of us among us has a, a struggle or a problem, you know what we need to do? gather around her. Praise God. So, okay, how do we eulogize God in our prayers? Okay, how do we incorporate more praise in our prayers? Well, I have a girlfriend. She gets up every day at five o'clock to meet with God. First thing she does, she puts on the headset and listens to praise music, and she just gets to praising and thinking and exalting God. Some women will start their prayer time with going through the Psalms and praising God with his word through the Psalms. David Platt has an excellent sermon. Uh, My daughter told me about this one. It is recently posted. It is called Pray. David Platt takes his congregation step-by-step on how to pray. And one of the things he goes over is how they are to take their daily reading assignment, and as they're reading it, they're to watch for what God does and watch for what God is like and then turn that into praise. And he actually makes his congregation practice it. He sets up a microphone and has them read something and then come up and practice praising. And there are little children that are involved. It's very precious. You know, it's a good lesson because if you are reading your Bibles to your children, ask them, what are you learning? What does this tell you about God? And then praise God together about it. Okay? So, number one, let's go to our list. How does God pray? Number one, he eulogizes God. He thanks and blesses God. And notice he just doesn't do it at the beginning. If you see the end of chapter 3 with that beautiful benediction, he ends with it as well. There's a lot of praise in his prayer. Okay, next. Look at chapter 3, verse 14. He says, For this reason I bow the knee. Now his posture is going to give us an idea of how he prays. Now, am I saying that we have to get on our knees? Well, we've just talked about spontaneous prayer, which is good, okay? You're not going to be on your knees for something spontaneous. Uh, We also know that other places in the Bible, people take different positions. So this is not just about your bodily form, but it does tell us something about the heart. So um, when bowing, you see bowing in the Bible, oftentimes it's associated with worship. So we know he's being worshipful as he prays. Sometimes bowing is associated with the spirit of humility. So we know that he's being humble as he prays. Sometimes uh, bowing is um, indicating his earnestness in prayer. So we see that here as well. But for today, I want to focus on something else. I want you to see that when he bows the knee, he's being very intentional about his prayer. You see, if I'm bowed on my knees praying, I'm not fixing dinner or folding clothes. Now, if you pray while you're fixing dinner and folding clothes, keep doing that. I'm not trying to stop you. (laughs) Okay, that's good. Keep doing that. What we're talking about is being intentional about stopping to pray and meet alone with God. Okay, Jesus said, Matthew 6, 6, famous passage, but you... When you pray, now notice he doesn't say if you pray. He says when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You're to go into your inner room. You know what? That's intentional. That's a woman being very intentional about her prayer time. It says you're to go into your inner room. Some of your versions may say closet. The inner room was the secret room where the treasury was kept. You kept your treasures in there. Now here's the thing. You're going to guard a room like that. You're going to guard that room. Do you have a a guarded room, a guarded time, where you intentionally steal away to get alone with God and pray? Um, I know for me, uh, it, it's so very easy for me to get distracted. And I've just lately come into the practice. I have a laptop with uh, a Word uh, program on it, and I will sit at my laptop, and I will type out my prayers as if I'm talking to God. It, there's No magic to it. It just keeps me focused. You know, otherwise, I, I look at a piece of furniture, and I think, I should dust that. <laughs> you know, I... You know, you just you just are you just all over the place, and so I, I I have found that I just I just need something like this, and I've come to the place where if I really want to get serious about praying somebody, I feel like I got to get to my laptop. It's it's my it's my prayer closet, but I will I, I will take and I will co- copy and paste portions of scripture right onto that program, and I'll just pray through a passage. If I have my Sunday school uh, prayer list, I'll just copy and paste that on there and pray through it that way. The the thing is. You find a way to be intentional and get alone with God. Now, um, I know that many of you have, have just very crazy lives right now. You're going through, uh, you have unique seasons in life. You may not be able to go off and spend two hours in prayer like Martin Luther. Okay? But you can do something. You can do something. Um, Anne Ortland. she was the author and wife of Pastor Ray Ortland. She wrote a book and explained how she told God that she would get up every night from 2 to 3 in the morning if he would help her. If you are finding trouble, finding times to get away and be intentional in your prayer time, ask God. Ask God to show you. Now, some of you may need help. You may need to ask God for the desire to do it in the first place. Okay? Now, number two, how does Paul pray? On his knees. He's worshipful, humble, and intentional. It was brought to my attention right before I came up here that there is a Moms in Touch class that meets every Wednesday between noon and 1. Mandy, raise your hand. Mandy oversees that. Sadly, let me tell you something. She said she's here alone many Wednesdays. Um, We need to pray together. We need to pray for each other. We need to pray. So let's do that now. Let's close in prayer. Father God, we thank you. We praise you first of all. We praise you first of all that you are God that has given us prayer and that you invite us to prayer. We thank you for the examples in your word and in history of people who prayed. Now, Father, I just pray, I pray for all of us that you would help us to be uncomfortable in our lives when we do things that are are not fitting for uh, being daughters of our Father. And I pray that you will help us to pray, to call us to it, to keep us from sin, to point out the sin in our lives so that we can be in constant communication with you. And we pray all these things in the name of the one who's redeemed us from our sin. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.